everybody, it's Bindi Mark and I am back with another video. Today I'm going to be talking about what my journey has been like alongside the Lord to a place of modesty, both inwardly and outwardly. But uh, I just wanted to make a video about where I am now and how I got here. The discussion of modesty, if you will, with the Lord started with me a couple of years ago. And ironically, I remember what I was doing is I had just finished uh, washing some laundry, dried it, and I was standing in front of my closet and I was hanging up some dresses and some shirts. And while I was doing that, I was praying and I was asking for, for good things, all of the things that I felt like, you know, are good things to ask for. I asked for, for wisdom, for, for knowledge, for understanding, things like that. All of the gifts that I, that I would, you know, I believed were in line with what the Lord would want me to ask for. And while I was in the middle of that prayer, I, I heard the Holy Spirit interrupt me and the Lord said to me, I hear what you're saying, but we need to talk about the way you dress. And I remember I kind of was just like stunned into silence because I heard the voice as clear as day. It wasn't an auditory kind of hearing, but it was, I could hear it in my, in my spirit and I knew it was not my own voice. I knew it was the voice of the Lord. And so I kind of paused and I stopped talking and I stayed silent and the Lord himself stayed silent. He just kind of let that pause, that, that silence kind of sit for a minute. And then he went on to say, so at first he said, the way, um, he said, we need to talk about the way you dress, pause. The way you dress displeases me. Yeah. And, and so I just kind of like sat with that. I didn't know what to say. I don't think that there is anything that, you know, I can say. But um, that was the start of a conversation that really endured over the next four years or so. I don't know exactly the, um, the exact amount of time, but it was over a span of years. I, I would say even present day. And that conversation was about four years ago. And I just remember after the Lord said that to me, I kind of, again, like I said before, I was in the middle of hanging up my clothes and I kind of looked at my closet and I looked at the things that were in there and I just had this kind of, just felt like I needed to kind of not a compulsion but I just felt like I used to go through my closet and just like get rid of clothes that I knew I had purchased with a bad heart and so I um I, I went through it and anything that I knew that was immodest or indiscreet or just you know unbecoming for me to wear I pulled them all down off the hangers I put them in a trash uh, bag and got them ready for a donation and I did that for all of the clothes that I knew were inappropriate except one Welcome to the Living Brightly podcast with Elaine Cross. That was Bindi Mark. And it's interesting, I was preparing for this podcast and looking for something to do as an introduction. This is what God dropped in my lap. And we're going to hear a little bit more from this podcast in particular. Last podcast, What is a Father? Seems reasonable. The next one would be, What is a Mother? That wasn't where I wanted to go. (laughs) But that's where God took me. And living brightly requires that we lean in when God whispers, that we get attentive and attuned and stop looking at what we want to do and focus on where he is leading. This is the Living Brightly Podcast with Elaine Cross, and I am Elaine Cross, your host. And the, the idea here is that individually, we are a lamp unto those around us, but together, we are a city on a hill, being that bright light and that beacon of hope to those who don't know who God is. And by being the light, they can say, huh, there's something different about you. Today, we're going to look at 
what is a mother. It's a very interesting discussion where God has taken me with this planning, and I hope you enjoy it. Let's go. So let's go all the way back to the beginning, back to Genesis, and see what God had to say to Eve and how Eve's presence in the world changed the world. God has created the universe. He's created the the dry ground from the water, the vegetation, the whole story of creation. On the sixth day, God makes the animals and God makes Adam. And then God brings Adam into this process and he parades the animals in front of Adam to give them a name. Now, I think of all the animals that are on the face of the earth and I can't imagine coming up with all those names. And it wasn't just give them a name. Oh, this one's Joe, this one's Harry, this one's Sigrid, whatever. Adam named them according to their character, according to their ability, according to the purpose of that animal in the world. Adam called out their unique and distinct identity. That wasn't the only purpose for this little activity. It wasn't just to see what kind of cool names Adam would come up with. Although I'm sure God thought that was pretty cool, some of the names that Adam came up with. But I think it was also an opportunity for God to train Adam in his observation skills and in his understanding of this world that he was going to be very much in charge of tending, taking care of, right? Because God commissioned Adam and Eve to push back against the chaos and tend the garden, take care of this earth to make it hospitable, not just for man, but for all the animals as well, to kind of keep the animals safe and in balance. Not that they're not Lion King or anything, they're not bowing down to him, but we do have this responsibility. So God parades all these animals in front of Adam and he gets to a point where Adam says, but there's none for me. And the words he uses are, there was no helpmate found. Now that's very interesting because when you look at the Hebrew words for that, there's this suitable helpmate. And the word suitable there is in front of or in the presence or in sight of. So Adam could not see in his sight a a helpmate. And by helpmate, it means an assistant or a supporter in times of hardship or distress, like a partner, an associate, someone with joint interests and joint abilities. Because of course, we're not animals. <laughs> or uh, No matter what anybody tells you, we're not just an animal. There is something different about humans. And God agreed. And then God did a little surgery applied a little anesthesia, put Adam to sleep, took out the rib, crafted Eve, put Adam back together and brought Eve to Adam. (sighs) Women, we know men are very visual creatures and scripture just tells us that. Not only is Adam looking at all the animals and deciphering between all the animals and giving them a name based on their abilities and their purpose in the world, But he sees them, he sees their uniqueness, their differentness, and I'm sure he was kind of excited about it. And in awe of all the different types of creation that God had created before he made man. It's quite remarkable, the different types of animals that we have on this earth. And yet nothing struck him like Eve. The interesting thing about Eve is Eve changed Adam. When God brought Eve to Adam, Now, in English, it doesn't sound very poetic or very significant, but Adam basically means man, man, mankind, humans, the run of the mill, just slightly above an animal, human. And when God brought Eve to Adam, he said, she will be called woman, Isha, because she has come from Ish, man. And that's a new word 
that's introduced in scripture, a new Hebrew word. And this is a man of purpose. This is a man of a higher level of significance than just a random dude. (laughs) I'm trying to explain the difference in this language here. And it's kind of hard because it's subtle in its nuance, but it's profound and it's significant. Adam is no longer just a human taking care of a garden. He has now met his mate. He has now found his Isha. And by bonding to her, he has been elevated in and of himself. And God goes on to say, it is not good for man to be alone. He never says that to a woman, but he says it to a man. And as we discussed last week, and we look at society, fathers, and the reason I use fathers is because men who are married to women who are in this committed relationship of, we will do this thing together, no matter what comes our way, whether we feel it or don't feel it, whether we have some ooey gooey emotional spark, or we are at complete odds with each other, we are going to work together We're going to work through the struggles. We're going to work through the differences. And we're going to push back the chaos of this world together as a team, as a unit, as a a partnership to be seen and to show how to push back against the chaos. Now, of course, it didn't last for very long, did it? This Adam and Eve in the garden, walking in the cool of the day with the Lord. And shortly thereafter, in Genesis chapter 2, Reading from the New American Standard Bible 2020 version, Genesis chapter 2, starting in 22, says, And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. So if you were reading that as in Adam is the man, and the Lord God fashioned into a woman, Isha, the rib which he had taken from the Adam and brought her to the Adam. Then the Adam said, At last, this bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, she shall be called Isha, woman, because she was taken out of Ish. For this reason, Ish shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, that they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. Now, if you didn't know the rest of the story, that last little line would seem a little extra information, right? Why do we need to know that? Well, we need to know that because chapter three, verse one, now the serpent was more cunning than any animal in the field, which the Lord God had made. Yes, in comes the serpent almost immediately into the picture. Now, there's a lot of things in this story, and and I'm probably getting into them in another podcast about the serpent and Adam and Eve and all those things. But we know that the serpent tempts Eve. Adam is obviously standing there right by kind of watching these things happen. Eve says something that God didn't say. God told Adam not to eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, when Eve came along, Adam told Eve that God said you shouldn't even touch it. So there was something there that happened. And we know that because when the serpent asked Eve, has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? And that's Genesis 3.1. And the woman responds in in verse two and three, from the fruit of the tree of the garden, we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat of it or touch it or you will die. And the serpent said to the woman, you certainly will not die. 
Now, he's a liar, and it's this kind of behavior that grants him the title of father of lies. But Eve was being honest with what she knew, because Adam created a guardrail, is how I like to describe it, to protect her from going from touching to eating. Well, the problem was, once she touched it, she realized nothing happened. Then she ate, because she thought, well, what difference does it make? Nothing happened to me now, nothing's probably going to happen to me after. But of course, once she ate, she gave it to Adam, Adam ate, and their eyes were open, and they knew they were naked. Verse 7. So they sewed fig leaves together and kind of hid from God. And this is the beginning of sin. This is where sin entered the world. And the New Testament, chapter one in the book of James, jumping down to verse 13, he says, no one is to say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil. And he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. So think back to Adam and Eve. Adam was tempted by that tree and he lusted after that tree. He wanted it. He wanted to know what was behind it. And I know that because if you go on in verse 15 here in James 1, when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it has run its course, brings forth death. Death. Sin and death, both in Genesis 3 and James 1. That's not just a correlation. That's significant connection between those two stories. Because the lust built up in Adam, the description of sin being conceived takes action. When a man and a woman join together and a child is conceived, it doesn't just happen. There's action, there's intent, there's decisions and follow through. With sin, it's death. Back to Genesis 3, verse 8, they heard the sound of the Lord in the garden. And he says, where are you? In verse 10, he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. Now, it's not like God didn't know what happened, but like every good parent, you know, (laughs) says to his child, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree from which I commanded you not to eat? And here comes the blame game. The man says, the woman who you gave to me, she gave me some fruit of the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Then the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you more than all the other livestock. And then God goes on in verse 15, and I will make enemies of you and the woman and of your offspring and her descendants. And to the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. Your desire will be for your husband and he shall rule over you. And we're not going to get into the details of everything, but the words used in that verse that you will have difficulty in conception and increase your pain in delivery. So there's this double whammy in the conception side, which many of my sisters understand and grieve the fact that they can't get pregnant or stay pregnant and actually bring them to completion. So that's part of this difficulty, pain, labor in becoming pregnant, and then the difficulty in pain in delivering the child, bringing it into the world. So for those two stages, those two very important major stages in becoming a mother by bearing your own children. I just wanted to clarify what those words right there mean, and let's go on. 
And then Adam, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you saying, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you or with hard labor, you shall eat from it all the days of your life. And Adam and Eve go on and conceive children. She has Cain and then she has Abel and Cain ended up killing Abel in the end of chapter four. Verse 25, Adam had relations with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth. So it didn't take long for family drama to get to the point of murder, just plain murder. And we talked about what a mother goes through when she's carrying a child and how a man is kind of an observer in the process. But this spiritual connection that a mother and a child make while she is carrying that child in her womb is very profound. And almost immediately, a mother plans and dreams and imagines where this child will go, what this child will do, and the impact this child will make for good in the world. And the reality is, I'm talking about mothers and fathers because I'm intentionally not talking about male and female. Every male child born has the potential to create another child, to create another human. Of course, he can't do it alone, but he needs the participation of a woman to bring that child into the world. And where the man has the potential to create a child, the woman has the potential to bring life to that child. To bring that child full term is a very, very spiritual experience. And thinking of bringing children to life, one of the questions I would always ask considering abortion laws and abortion cases is what are the father's rights? That woman could not create the child on her own. It's common knowledge that the prefatory advancement of abortion by Margaret Sanger was about eugenics, particularly black children. She did not want the less valuable people, poor and black and disabled, to be able to propagate and fill the earth. She believed in a limited ability for the earth to sustain humans. And we're going to get into that probably in the next podcast. We'll see. And I... I fully accept that men took advantage of the abortion industry to rid themselves of their duty and the responsibility with respect to their philandering and adulterous behavior. It is without a doubt that men appreciated the fact that they could get a woman to have an abortion or the woman would just get an abortion and relieve them of that fatherly responsibility. But a mother, a mother's conscience remains stirred and it demands a response. Fear, preservation, autonomy, control, rights, future eventually leads to justification, minimization, and acceptance. But the conscious doesn't adjudicate finality quickly or easily. And if a woman goes through with an abortion, questioning, doubt, struggle for clarity, and relief will follow her for days, weeks, even years. Initially, virtually exclusively, The fear, preservation, autonomy, control, rights, and future are all self-affirming. It's all about me. Where posthumously, the self-serving safeguards weaken the point to allow the conscious the liberty to consider the other half of the situation. What if? Did I do the right thing? Did I make the right choice? It can't be undone. And I'm not here to judge. I've walked this journey. I know these experiences. There is a grief and a loss that can break you. It can sear you. 
There are warnings in the Bible of searing your conscience, of searing yourself like a hot poker against feeling these very strong emotions and confronting these very spiritual realities. What's going to happen if? Where am I going to be? I have a right. I can control. I am my own person. But what about? What if? Imagine. And God is faithful and God is loving. And God's judgment, his wrath, his anger, his frustration, his disappointment, his grief over everything you've done, every time you've done it, from the moment you were born until the moment that you died, all judgment has been put on Christ. And he sees you through that payment. And he wants to bring you out of that struggle. There's a verse in the Bible that gets misused so many times, but know the truth and the truth will set you free. The truth that God's judgment, all his judgment, all his anger, all his wrath was placed on Jesus on the cross. Yes, all of God's judgment, wrath, anger, frustration, disappointment was on Jesus on the cross. Jesus came and died and poured out himself and willingly took the punishment for all of your sins. And yes, he knows what you did and he knows when you did it, but he already paid for it. And the reason I know he paid for everything that you've already done and everything that you will do is because he paid for it over 2000 years ago. It's done. Just before Jesus died, his last words were, it is finished to telestai. That does not eradicate your conscience. That doesn't clear your memories. It doesn't eliminate your self-judgment and your self-negativity and your self, your negative self-view. But that's why Jesus went to the Father so he could send the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit living within you could help you peel off those layers of self-incrimination and self-judgment and the lies that your enemy wants to bind you to, to keep your light from shining bright. Jesus lit that light in you. And Jesus said, you are the light of the world. You are his ambassador. You say, my burden is heavy. He says, take mine, my yoke is light. He loves you so much. And I can talk to you and I can tell you, but I can't give you the assurance that he can give you. And I want you to take a minute Just pause this podcast in a minute and take a minute, whether it's abortion or it's divorce or it's some other thing that the Holy Spirit has brought to mind to you. Maybe you're a man who encouraged a woman to get an abortion because it was convenient and it was easy, but the Holy Spirit is reminding you. If it's coming to mind, the Holy Spirit is working on you. And I want you to stop this podcast and come back to it after you spend some time with him. And when you pause the podcast, I want you to just say, Jesus... I'm so sorry, and I thank you for all that you did. But I don't know how to carry this. Holy Spirit, help me. Show me who I am, how God sees me. Ask those questions that you keep running around in your head, but you're afraid to articulate, or that you condemn yourself with. Ask God that, and listen, listen. The Holy Spirit will speak to your spirit. You will hear him speak to you. You won't hear an audible voice. You might not even be able to put it into words. But listen, and don't overthink it. Don't overwork it. 
And if something comes to you that is negative, that's your enemy. That's your broken record of your conscience playing over and over and over in your head. That is not of God. God will come in and say, I know what you did, and I love you still. It will be positive. It will be encouraging. It will be, yeah, I paid for that too. Yeah, I know. I paid for that as well. Yeah, that was bad. But I've done what I did so that you and I can have a relationship. You and I can have a future. So just pause this here and take a few minutes and pray about whatever God brought to your heart, whatever came to mind when I started talking about fear or preservation or judgment, guilt, and take it to the Lord. Well, this is the Living Brightly podcast, and this is a value for value podcast. I try to help you fill your oil and trim your wick so that you can be a bright light individually, a lamp on a stand, living out the love and the acceptance that God offers you. Together, we become a city on a hill, a bright and shining city that illuminates the whole area. You can't fight darkness with darkness. You can't even fight darkness, but you can light a light and you can burn that light brightly. And I do this with my time and my talent and my treasure. I ask in return is that you share it with someone. Tell someone else about it. If you are getting something from these podcasts, I ask you to share it, tell someone, post it on a clip on social media, whatever. I provide it and you consume it. And I ask that you would support by partnering with me in the production of this podcast. This is a value for value podcast. And I rely on you putting your value into the production of this. And you can go to elainecross.com. That's E-L-A-Y-N-E cross.com. And there's a donation on the first page. You can be a monthly donor. You can be a a one-time donor. However you feel fit your budget If you have questions or ideas that you want me to investigate, when you make a donation, you can also send an email to donation at elainecross.com. And in the subject line, put donation question, and I will read those. And if there's something I can address on the podcast that aligns, I will do that. I do this because I feel very compelled by God to share and specifically to call out God's children to step up, to burn bright, to not worry about what other people will say about you, but about what other people might miss out on to be the light, to spread the light. We have to share the light. This world needs the light so desperately. It needs you. It needs me. And I'm doing my part. What is a mother? when I first started this, the other mother that we almost always think about is Mary. Eve had Cain, Abel, and then Seth. Mary had Jesus. And there's some interesting correlations. We talked about sin, lust giving birth to sin, and sin leading to death. That's pretty powerful. The women, mothers, carrying with them the ability to birth things, but not just children. Women birth a lot of things. Our role as partners in this world to push back against the darkness, to push back against the chaos, to bring order and community to our world goes way beyond just giving birth to a child. So when 
Mary was, they figure, around 14. And in Luke chapter 1 is where we hear the story of Mary and her encounter with the angel Gabriel. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph to the descendants of David and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God and behold, you will conceive in your womb and give birth to a son and you shall name him Jesus and he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. But Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, also the Holy Child will be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth herself has conceived a son in her old age, and she who is called infertile is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold the Lord's bondservant, may it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. When Mary conceived Jesus, it was very different from when Adam had relations with his wife and she conceived a son. Mary had this overshadowing of this power of God, that God impregnated her with Jesus. And Jesus was fully God and fully man. And she had this camaraderie with her cousin, her elderly cousin. So we have this 14-year-old girl. That's just what we're going to call her. We don't know exactly how old she was, but let's just say there's this 14-year-old girl and this 70-something woman who had been barren her whole life are now simultaneously with children. They're going along in communion with each other in this sisterhood that is so unique. Because Gabriel, the angel, told Mary that Elizabeth was pregnant and in her sixth month, Mary right away goes to see her. And it's quite remarkable that she has this kind of this really important thing that she needs to tell Joseph about. And she goes to see Elizabeth. (laughs) And Mary and Elizabeth have this unique bond between them. But not all women have that. Women can be incredibly negative to themselves. And we can all do it. Our conscience awakens to our sin and points it out to us constantly. But the woman-to-woman relationship is also very unique. Where Mary and Elizabeth had a common and unique situation where they were given children at a time when they least expected to have a child. And yet they knew that their children were because of a move of God. Men, men work together they instinctively team up. They know that a large job, a war, a battle can be fought when they team up and they have a resolve to share the load, work together, get the job done. Now, it's not that men don't fight and men don't have differences, but even if you look at a wedding, all the men are dressed almost identical. There might be one slight difference that sets the groom from the groomsmen, but not always. You look at men in uniform and there's something that is always said about a woman loves a man in uniform because they're part of this group. And women even recognize that when men work together, they can change the world. They can build buildings. They can stop a invading army. They can dig a well. They can do many, many, many things when they work together as a team. With women, there's almost always a competition, jealousy, a vulnerability. And women work very hard to bond and create relationships with 
another small group of women that they can truly connect with. But there can also be that constant threat of things could go sideways and they could go sideways pretty darn fast. (laughs) Women and husbands. Society doesn't help us women, us mothers, with respect to our role with our husband and fathers. Because one side of the equation says, I am woman, hear me roar. And the other side, that vulnerable side knows we are the weaker vessel. We do not possess the strength, the muster that men do. We are genetically, physiologically different. And women also know that men are visually directed or steered, motivated, however you want to call it. But men also need to accomplish things. They need to have a sense of accomplishment. And some women forget that. Mothers need to remember, especially mothers of sons, but even more so of of daughters, because they need to be trained. They need to be told. They need to be explained. Men want to be part of a group, a brotherhood, a, a team, a squad, a hunting party, whatever you want to call it. But they also want their their wife, their children, their home, their their kingdom, their castle, if you will. Whether that castle is a, a trailer or an apartment or a mansion. Men want to have that home base. And they do like it when things are run well at home. And that really is a role of the wife to make those things function properly. When women struggle, men want to help. And men want to help by fixing and and making things better, removing whatever is causing the pain or the distress, the struggle. And women want to be able to be supported while they process through the pain and the struggle and the distress. And this husband-wife, mother-father relationship that we have between each other requires great communication and great understanding of how God created each of us to function in society, in this world, in this world that he created for us. And women of today struggle with this sense of self-sufficiency and this sense of vulnerability. And it's important that we understand the man's perspective As a mother, we can't do it alone. We just can't. And by mother, I don't necessarily mean just of children, although certainly including the raising of children. It's vitally important that there's a father and a mother partnering together to raise children. But I'm really trying to get you to see this partnership to be in front of you, to keep sight of this partnership. And that goes on both sides, but men need to see the partnership in the wife as much as the wife needs to see the partnership in the man. And we need to recognize and affirm the function of each one within the marriage, the family, the mother-father family. The father with the ability to create new life, create new things. I'm not saying women aren't creative. Roll with me think of the seed, the father's seed really triggers that chain reaction of bringing into creation something new. 
the mother nurtures that very vulnerable, very delicate, very precious life and brings it to birth, brings it to even adulthood. And it's because this role of mother bringing a child into this world, it really is our possession. And the one thing we can learn from Eve is that when we view our children as our possession, in some ways we spoil them to be productive members of society as a whole. When we view our children as a breath, as breathing life into not only the one, but everyone that that one will encounter, Wow, I am way too deep here. Let's just say mothers need fathers and fathers need mothers. Men work in teams, but they want to have their castle, their kingdom, their monarchy, and they want their queen with them. And they want their queen to take care of a lot of things, but they never want the queen to be so sufficient that they don't need them. Post 9-11 fire department in New York City. The fire department, of course, lost many, many, many firemen. And because there were so many firemen that were no longer there, there were a lot of grieving widows. And the idea sounds really good on paper, but the execution is very poor in that they assigned a surviving fireman with a widowed fireman's wife to help them process through the realities of moving on between paperwork and insurance and money that the government provided and different things and meeting with the kids and trying to create some kind of stability in their life that had just been ripped to shreds hundreds of times over in the city with this loss of life from 9-11. They failed to take into account a man's intimate spiritual need to help women in distress. And unfortunately, within a year of 9-11, the divorce rate in the New York Fire Department spiked significantly. Because when you're in a situation where life is kind of normal and your world is kind of torn apart, but not your world entirely, but other people around you and people that you know and you care for, coworkers, and they say, oh, well, you know, she needs some help. Well, yeah, go help her. Go help her. Yeah, go help her. And the man comes home to his own castle and he just doesn't feel that same usefulness, productivity, ability to help in such a traumatic situation because Additionally, the wives stepped up and said, okay, go, you know, yeah, one night a week, two nights a week, do what you need to do. I'm glad I'm not in her shoes until he was in her bed, if you know what I mean. And I just recently saw this play out too. And if you've ever watched the show Sheldon, which is a spinoff of The Big Bang Theory, young Sheldon's parents end up divorced and they had this play out in almost the exact same way. The neighbor has a child the same age as Sheldon. The families know each other. They converse, whatever. This other family, the husband leaves. He's got a girlfriend or something. He leaves. So she has been abandoned at this point. So Sheldon's mother encourages her husband to help her often. And she needs a lot of help. But this feeds into the, he can really help her in ways that he can't necessarily help his wife because his wife is at a place where she's got things running pretty smooth at home. And when something happens, she takes care of it, or she makes sure he takes care of it. And 
although they have their normal everyday struggles, it's not the same as being abandoned and being on your own. And, you know, the sink is leaking and the car isn't working and just go help her, just go help her. And it's almost like feeding her husband to a spiritual need within him that he can't resist. So you can see why women get jealous of each other. Because we almost know instinctively that this can happen at any moment, but it doesn't happen at any moment. Like any affair, it starts very slow, starts very innocently. But we need to be mindful of how God created us mothers and fathers to be. I started this show with that clip that that God led me to on YouTube, and I'm going to play a little bit more here at the very end. Because when the way that mothers and women look at men, there's a naivete about it. We're aware, but we don't want to admit that we're aware, especially here in the West. I know there are a lot of women, myself included, that have gotten frustrated over things because this is the reality that we live in. In the Muslim community, they have the women remain extremely covered. And we look at that as an American or a woman from the West, and we say, that's ridiculous. You know, she can show her hands, she can show her face or whatever. And yet there's some wisdom there. We need to be wise mothers in how we raise our children and how we raise our daughters and how we raise our sons in how we interact with our husbands. Because women are so intimately connected to bringing life into the world. Women are much more attuned spiritually. And part of that, I think, is because mothers and women are really reflected in the role of the Holy Spirit. We have Father God and that Father identity and protection and provision. Those are all roles of the Father. And then you've got Jesus the Son, who is like your peer. We're going to be adopted into God's family as children of God, co-heirs with Christ, right? He's our peer. He's our sibling. He's like us on an individual basis. And then there's the Holy Spirit. And if you look at the family as the archetype of the Trinity, of the triune God, one God in three facets, if you will, the Holy Spirit really aligns with mother. She takes care of your boo-boos and she is a comforting ear and she reassures you and she builds you up. She calls you out when you're acting a fool and she supports you when you're being bullied, right? Moms fill that role. And all of us who have the potential to bring a life into existence to birth new life, have those responsibilities in the people around us. But in particular, we need to have relationships with other women and not look at them as a competitor, but a companion with the understanding that men are incredibly different. And as self-sufficient as you can be, because again, God doesn't say it's not good for a woman to be on her own. God says it's not good for man, Ish, to be on his own. It's not good for Adam to be alone because a man on his own is is his basic state, which is very close to being like an animal. A man becomes elevated in all that he is and all that he does when he takes a wife. So we need to honor that in our men, honor that in those fathers in our lives, those men who have the potential to create life and create that life within us. So we have to live from a point of strength, but also surrender and submission 
being a woman has never been the easiest role to be. And I love the way that Bindi Mark's YouTube video on Christian modesty and femininity look lookbook. I think it's supposed to be look back <laughs> because she she reviews this process that she has gone through that the Holy Spirit has has taken her on to live modestly and femininely in contrast with what the culture would say because of how men are created. And there's a reason that fathers are the way they are. There's a reason that men are the way they are. And again, I'm trying to avoid the male-female terminology because God made us very different, but he made us to live together. And society needs us mothers, us women to be godly mothers as much as society needs men. But reality, society needs more men than it does need women right now. Society needs fathers to step up much more than women. Society needs women to honor the men in their lives so that they can step up because our enemy is really trying to get between the two of us, your seed and her seed, trying to get between the differences. We're not the same. God didn't create us the same and we don't behave the same and we need to honor each other the way that God created us uniquely as either a father or a mother. And we have that, whether you have children or not, whether you can have children or not, whether you want to have children or not, you either have the male seed that can create life or you have the woman's seed who can bring that life to fruition, can foster and nurture that life to be born. So here's Bandy. Imagine this. Imagine there's a shark tank and you put sharks in there. Let's say there's four or five sharks and they're hungry and they're agitated and they're swimming around and they're irritated. So imagine that there's four or five sharks in there. Imagine if you put a fish in there. The deceived fish would say, ooh, the sharks are staring at me. They must like me. Ooh, they salivated. They're watering at the mouth. They must really like me. And in a sense, the fish is right. Yeah, they do like you, but not for the reason that you think. Yes, they are drooling over you, but not for the reasons that you think. And a woman who puts on immodesty is unable to correctly interpret the behavior of the men around her. She sees lustful attention as something positive in the same way that the deceived fish can look at attention from sharks as something positive. That's not a positive thing. And I feel like the Lord helped me to understand that. And it's like, once I understood that, I was like, not only is immodesty unbecoming for me as a daughter of the king, it's just downright dangerous. It could just be a man looking at you with the intention of sexually exploiting you. That's a kind of harm. That's a kind of danger. That's what a woman who is deceived will look at the attention she gets from the men around her, the lustful, lascivious, carnal attention from the men around her as something positive, when in actuality, it is incredibly negative. A man who is looking at a woman with lust in his heart and making it very clear that he's lusting after her, that man is actively dishonoring that He's actively communicating his desire to desecrate her body. It's not a compliment. And I didn't understand that until the Lord started explaining that kind of stuff to me. I just didn't get it. So what she said stands out to me in that when a woman dresses in such a way that men are 
look at her in lust and in a desiring kind of way. We know Jesus calls that sin. I think it's Paul who said, don't behave in such a way that a brother will stumble. Now, a brother could be brother or sister, but you get the point. If sin begins with lust or uh, temptation, then how we present ourselves as mothers and women, how we allow and encourage our daughters to present themselves as a potential mother in a way that entices and almost demands a man to look in lust and desire, we have a problem. And I love the way she describes it in that, oh, they like me, they like me. And yet they're really salivating. This really is not a like. This would be as if Adam named the animals based on their coat, right? So instead of a zebra, they call it, he called it a black and white stripey and a brown dotted leopard, you know, be just brown dot or long neck for a giraffe. He looked at their character, their purpose, their uniqueness. When Adam surveyed the animal kingdom, when God brought the animal kingdom to him, it was a very pure, a very even scientific, if you will. There was no lust in himself to desire these animals in that way. And I don't think there was even lust when God brought Eve to Adam, even though they were both naked, because there was no shame. There was no awareness of nakedness. But he saw in Eve that part of him that made him a better person. And that's how we want to be perceived. We say it all the time. But what do we do to act on it? For Bandy, the Holy Spirit has really worked on her in her physical appearance to other people. I love the way that she's just honest and real about it. And she's a young mother and she has a young daughter I've seen in one of her videos. And the fact that God is moving in her life to take her to a place that is higher and set apart and different, not a place of judgment, not a place of condemnation, but a place of you are my beloved. And us women, we struggle with that, that I am enough that sense of I am enough. God created me enough in myself. And the only person who can bring that to life in you is the Holy Spirit through God, God's Holy Spirit through you. But it takes relationship with God. It takes time with God. It takes this awareness of this is who God created me to be. And it's not bad. It's not wrong. It's not less than. It's just different. And frankly, that's the beauty of women in this world. And we celebrate that where the men love to be part of a team and you go to a wedding and they're all the same. It is not the same for women. The bride is the obvious centerpiece of the event. Men, they go to the tuck store or whatever and they get the exact same outfit. And some brides insist on that for their girls. But often, women who are confident enough in themselves, especially, and that's no judgment one way or the other. I like it when it's all symmetrical. So (laughs) mine would be all the same. Just just putting it out there for clarity. I'm not judging anybody. But the more I have learned about what it means to be a godly mother, a woman of God, with my heart set on him, not on the world, when I see wedding pictures where they have the same dress, but they can pick their own color, 
or they have the same color, but they have several different styles of dress. Some are long, some are shorter. That's the beauty of women. You are enough. You are wonderfully and beautifully made. And God wants you to know that. And society needs our women to understand that we are enough even when we're vulnerable, even when we're weak, even when we can't do everything and we need help. And that's a beautiful thing because God gave us men to help us when really we're supposed to be the helper, right? <laughs> it's kind of a, uh, a twist of words. We were created to be our man's helper and yet he needs to help us. That's a beautiful interplay. This, I need you and you need me. What is a mother? A mother is a woman who has within her not only her seed, but she takes what the man gives her and she gives birth to it and makes it more. And it starts with him. When a woman accepts a man, the two become one flesh. He's no longer just a run-of-the-mill Adam, a run-of-the-mill man, some human out there running around. He's an ish. He is elevated in who he is, what he can do, and what he can obtain, and what he can accomplish in his life. Because you accepted him, because you, you have taken him on as your own, and you have allowed him to take you. You have submitted yourself to him. You've surrendered yourself to him. And in that surrender, he gives you a part of him that you take and make something world changing. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. This world needs mothers and fathers. And I don't necessarily mean people who have babies, although that's important. It's this commitment to be who God created you to be in partnership with your spouse to not only be a single light, but to be two lights, to be this, this family of two becoming one. It's a powerhouse. And when you stand together and you stand united and you stand firm on the fact that you're in this together and no outside force, no child, no other thing can divide you and destroy you, look out. We need you. The Holy Spirit is calling you to be a godly woman a woman of faith, a mother of faith, a mother of strength, surrender, and submission, a mother of determination and assertiveness, a mother who loves and does not fear, a partner to her husband. This is the Living Brightly podcast with Elaine Cross, and I hope you have enjoyed this. There will be links to this YouTube video that I shared parts of. This is a value for value podcast. So if you've gotten value from this, share it with your friends and go to elainecross.com. That's E-L-A-Y-N-E. Cross is in Jesus died on the cross.com and make a donation. Help produce it so that others can hear and learn the way God designed the world to work. A world perspective based on biblical principles and our responsibilities within that world that God has placed us. Thanks for joining me. Till next time. Speaking of husbands and wives, I had seen this go around Facebook a while ago, and now it has resurfaced on TikTok. But as a bonus, I thought you might enjoy this. So here you go. 
A female is designed by God to receive. And whatever she receives, she incubates, multiplies it, and gives it back to the male. She was built to do that. So whatever you give a woman, she'll receive it, multiply it, and give it back to you. Whatever you give a woman, are you listening, brothers? She'll never give you back what you gave her. She'll multiply it first. She's designed that way. If you give a woman a sperm, you'll never get a sperm back. She'll multiply it and give you a baby. If you give her a house, she'll multiply it and give you a home. If you give her groceries, she'll give you a meal. If you give her frustration, she'll multiply it. Yeah. So brothers, if you don't like what you are getting, change what you're giving. A female is designed by God to receive. And whatever she receives, she incubates, multiplies it, and gives it back to the male. 